0: you're listening to Left of the Dial. I'm your host, Andrea, and I am flying solo today. Kitsi could not be here, but I um, have a guest that I'm really excited to introduce, so I'm going to do that now. Um, I haven't mentioned this on Left of the Dial, but I have started another podcast, as I'm always threatening to do. I've finally (laughs) done it. Um, And this one is about a uh, TV show that you should all be watching called Yellow Jackets. It's a Showtime series. It has just started its second season. It is fantastic. And the reason um, that I'm talking about it now is it has the most incredible soundtrack for pretty much any show. Um, re- I mean, on TV now, certainly, but like in the recent past that I can think of. Um, and my co-host over there and I have gotten really um sort of like in the weeds about the music, and we don't always have time to talk about it as much as we want, so I figured I would invite her over here, and we would just talk about the soundtrack of um, Yellow Jackets today. We're going to try really hard not to spoil anything on the show, we're going to keep it focused on the music, Um, so this is going to kind of just be like a 90s music love fest for the (laughs) most part this episode, which I hope and think listeners, um, you'll all be into, so... Jodi is an artist, a really incredible artist. I'll link to some of um, her stuff. I'm going to let her talk in about three seconds. She's also <laughs> my co-host, like I said, over on the other podcast. Yeah, uh, no, I didn't even say the name of my podcast.
1: That other podcast is called The Watchers. Um, welcome to Left of the Dial, Jodi. Hi, hello. I'm here. I am here to talk about about my, uh, my music of my time of the 90s. That was terrible. I'm, I'm here to talk about music, <laughs> even though I have no expertise here whatsoever.
0: Listeners are so used to me telling reminding them that I myself am not a musician. Yeah. Um but we're we're super music fans. Yes. And I'm excited to be able to like geek out about this music with you and then not have to leave it on the cutting room floor.
1: So <laughs> we've spent yes. so much time talking about 90s music and then probably over an hour at least in only two or three episodes has been yeah. cut because of time that has been about exactly. the music of the show. So that is fair. I know usually
0: we focus um for the most part, on uh, newer and also independent artists, and that is not happening here today. Um, but it's my show, and I can do whatever I want. And so uh, that's that's what's happening. I also made my, my co-host listen to Fallout Boy once um, before I was an actual host on the show. I was like a fill-in co-host, and I was like... So I've been laying the groundwork for just doing whatever I want. Folks are used to it. Nice. Um, yeah. And so... Um, the the show, listeners, one thing that you can know without me spoiling anything is it takes place in two timelines, uh, 1996 and 2021. And so the music is really interested in um, – er, no, the music isn't interested in anything. <laughs> um, the music
1: is reflective of the timeframes. There we go.
0: There we go. My teaching that's, brain that's... is still in there somewhere. <laughs> Um, And so uh, we've pulled a handful of songs across season one and now the start of season two that we both are just kind of like connected with or thought was worth highlighting. Um, And I think we'll start with Feel the Pain by Dinosaur Jr. Yeah.
1: When I heard this come on, so I think we talked about this on our podcast, but when I heard this come on in the scene that it's in, which is, you know, in the mid-90s and it's this character Nat and Kevin who's like in love with her and is sort of like an emo boy and like she's painting his nails black and it's just this sort of like... It's very sweet. It's so sweet. It's so sweet. And it was, I think we said this was the moment that you knew that she was cool. Yeah. Because she was listening to Dinosaur Jr. It wasn't. The more well known, like I mean, Dinosaur Jr. wasn't not known, but they were not the like the Nirvana. The exactly, you know, it's a signal. I
0: think it still kind of is when Mm -hmm. people drop Dinosaur Jr. You're like, okay, you're a little more like um, uh, invested in your in your taste of music,
1: and it's Um, a little bit like. It had a bit more of a sort of barrier to entry in terms of the mm-hmm. sound as well, because yeah, it was absolutely. a little to the side of the the type, um, the sound of music at the time. It was mm-hmm. adjacent, but not. Yeah, it was definitely different. You could kind of hear the very different sound of it.
0: Well, and I think part of that is well. So, so first of all, the so the show takes place. It's '96. This album's a little earlier, 1994. It's yeah. off of um, without a sound, and uh, it. One of the things I was reading about the song is that and and you can hear it, obviously, but it's just something I hadn't thought about is there's like very little happening in terms of like post processing Mm -hmm. and the recording. Um, I'll read I'll read the quote. Um, This is straight from Wikipedia. Um, (laughs) We didn't do a huge deep dive here, but um, uh, in a Billboard interview their producer explained he attempted to achieve a dry sound on feel the pain so just i mean really meaning like no effects or anything Mm -hmm. uh that song is bone dry except for a little plate reverb on the vocals because it's so dry it jumps out more i think you reap the benefits of sounding good on music television when you do that Mm -hmm. um it's um i think it's something well i think coming out of the 80s 94 we're still pretty early like in terms of like the shift from like grunge to the more like like alternative, what we yeah. think of as alternative, is like a genre of the time, like grunge like adjacent. Yeah, that stuff is still um, not so far removed from the '80s that we aren't. You aren't like the music of the '80s is so produced yes. and it's so dressed up. And yes. and so when you think about this coming out, like again, '94 is early '90s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in in contrast to that, it makes sense that that would jump out, and then also maybe be a little off putting for people who are used to more radio, quote-unquote, like, radio-friendly music.
1: Because, I mean, this is only two years after, I think, Smells Like Teen Spirit came out. Mm -hmm. And so it's – there's so much of that specific sound going around that when you hear something like Dinosaur Jr., I think that, you know, even though I know dry is actually referring to, like, the amount of effects, it also actually really kind of describes the sound for me. Mm -hmm. It has sort of a thin, dry sound to it. Yeah. Um, Which was a little – I didn't love it immediately at all. I – Uh, I think I said this to you before we started recording, but um, every association I have with songs from this time period has to do with who I was dating at the time. (laughs) Um, And like a true cliche, many of these bands were introduced to me by people I was dating. Right. Um, But, you know, this was introduced to me by not a person I was dating, but a person that I had a crush on. And I I definitely
0: somehow i was gonna say worse and i don't mean worse in terms of like no totally i mean worse in terms of like that's gonna stick with you in a very different way
1: yeah and it was a person that you would imagine would be listening to dinosaur jr (laughs) they were very um sort of introspective and Mm. uh Distant. 1994, I was 19, I would say. Uh So prime, like, serious crush, like. The year of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, painful relationships that never Mm -hmm. happened that you think about 30 years later. Exactly.
0: Man, it's so funny to be, this is judge, uh, not judgmental. That's not the right word. But it's so funny to look at some of these songs where, like, from my 37-year-old brain now. And it's like. Yeah, nineteen years old, eighteen years old. Like, I'll, I feel the pain of everyone, and yeah. I feel nothing. Yeah. I would have been, oh, I would have yeah, been done. But of course, it's like, I would have be like, oh, this, the song just gets me. Yeah,
1: like, well, you know? and as a as a nineteen uh, year old who. And into my twenties, spent most of my time pursuing people who were nowhere near emotionally ready to mm-hmm. be involved at all with anyone. Right. Give me that type of song. And it's like, oh yes, this is this is my burden. This is, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This, is <laughs> this is what I'm here for is to understand these difficult people. Side note, um, we mentioned that uh in the show, this is how you kind of know Nat is cool. And mm-hmm. we also mentioned that, and we're not gonna talk about this band today, but in That same scene, Kevin is wearing a Dead Kennedy shirt. That's right. Right? So in my day job, I work with uh, 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds. And um, one of them was talking to me about music today. And I mentioned that I was going to be talking about 90s music. And she was like, oh, my God, I love 90s music. And she was like, I don't know if you've heard of these people. And she starts mentioning like – Dead Kennedys, butthole surfers, like it was so cute. I told her I went to Warp Tour, and she almost fell over. I was like, "Dude, you are, uh, you are just t- treading in the path that I uh, wore out for you."
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, do not cite the deep magic. Yes. <laughs> Me, which I was there when
1: it was written. Exactly. Exactly. So I thought that was funny. We were, like, talking about 90s music. She's, like, 19, which is the age I was when all of this was, like, in my veins. She also I'm dresses like, like I did when I was 19. Yeah, it's back around. I know. The docks and the flannels and the giant pants and, like... I mean, not as giant as our pants were. Right. No. That's that's tough to pull off. But you really gotta... Yeah. But the big pants... I can't believe the big pants are coming back around. I know. It really... I know. It's kind of delightful, honestly. I mean, one of the reasons that I think that we kind of got attached to this TV show was because of the, like, 90s feminist aspects of it. And, Mm -hmm. like, that time frame was when, at least during my lifetime, where women and girls decided that they weren't going to be dressing for men as much anymore and started wearing right. like, you know, I went from the 80s, you know, when I was a preteen and, you know, early teenager, dressing like most people in the 80s dress, like leggings and whatever, to just, I looked like a, like I'd rolled around in a Goodwill and came out with whatever <laughs> it attached
0: itself to me. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. So yeah. So let's move on. That was, like I said, Dinosaur Junior, Feel the Pain. Mm-hmm. And I think next we're going to talk about Collective Soul, The World I Know.
1: kind of opposite end of the spectrum in terms of the like alternative world Mm -hmm. of that time like this was such a commercial smash yeah like on the radio ad nauseum kind of well and it's I wonder if it's because
0: I mean I'm sure there are a few reasons for this um but this is a song. There are a handful of songs from the nineties where the video is almost more important than the song itself. Mm-hmm. Um and I Goody think Boo dolls. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Um or I think or like Runaway Train. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think I mean this is a, I love this song. It's this is one of those songs where I don't remember a time when I didn't love this song and it has Or when you didn't know this song. Yeah. It feels
1: like it's just been around forever.
0: Exactly. And it's also Like Feel the Pain, it's the lyrics aren't. um, The lyrics are pretty pessimistic.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: um, And the story is pretty pessimistic of it being written, of just kind of like, you know, walking around and seeing the state the world's in. Specifically, I think. um,
1: Times Square. Yeah. Yeah. I had never read that story. And I I looked at it just to kind of get an idea of where the song came from. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so. It's so fitting. I don't know. So it's a, he says that he wrote it when they had a day off in New York City 25 years ago. So that was probably nine, in, the interview was in 2017. So like, you know, late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, were walking around like Times Square. And he talks about how like gritty and dirty it was then. Mm-hmm. And I moved to New York City in 99. And so and it was starting on the this like disneyfied upswing that was right, coming yeah. but it wasn't there yet mm-hmm. and and I definitely like not only does the song take me back to that time but then hearing him talk about how it was just came from a 2 hour walk around the city like Everyone who's ever lived in New York has done that two hour walk around the <laughs> yeah, city. Right. Often at four in the morning on the way home from a bar, but like <laughs> it's just there's a romantic sound to that song also, mm-hmm. even though it's kind of a sad song, that yeah. it it really fits that sort of wide-eyed but also exhausted feeling of wandering the city, mm-hmm. especially by yourself as yeah. like a late teen, early twenties person. Yeah
0: exactly and if you haven't seen this video go go watch it because I think it really is one of those iconic like I I haven't even I didn't watch it today because it feels pretty well cemented in my Mm. in my brain but it's it's the video like yeah there's a businessman walking around and you can you know that he's on his way he's like climbing to the top of a skyscraper presumably to jump Mm -hmm. and then um in the in the last like moments of it a dove (laughs) (laughs) lands on his arm and then he's because he's a new yorker has a bagel in his pocket so he feeds he feeds the dove and the crumbs from that uh draw ants and then he's like uh, you know he sees the comparison between the ants and the people walking around below and and he laughs and it's got this like sort of like positive spin at the end there in a way
1: it's like a it's a sad romantic video to go with a sad romantic song right Interestingly enough, there's now like a warning before the video when you try to watch it on YouTube that says it'll mention like, you know, mentions of or images of suicidal thought or whatever. But I think that that sort of like that sound of the sad romanticism and the video and all of that, like it's so fitting for that time. Mm-hmm. I think that there was this a shift in the sound that went from like super aggressive and almost angry maybe in like the early 90s to this where it becomes more like it's softer.
0: Yeah, yeah. And more um introspective. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. But it really is. I know I'm a sucker for it, but when that chorus kicks in and it starts to swell a little bit, it's yeah. like, it's really affecting. Um, yeah,
1: it's like kind of orchestral.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I will also, because this is, a podcast where I feel safe. <laughs> um, I I had an idea when we were getting the notes and stuff together for the show that what I actually wanted to do was uh, feature covers of the songs that were used in Yellow Jackets. It ended up being a little unwieldy, but I was like, I know there is a cover of The World I Know that I love, and I couldn't remember who it was, and I hmm. spent so much time today tracking it down, and I finally figured it out. And... <laughs> <laughs> And it's um, it's a cover by a man named David Cook, who listeners might not know, but he was the winner of um, an early season of American Idol. Oh, my God. And I that's perfect. He was I don't I'm not like a huge his season. For some reason, I like followed really closely. I didn't in general, but I was like really rooting for that guy. Um, And I went back and listened to it today.
1: And it's fine. It's perfectly (laughs) fine. So there was a there was that early period of American Idol where like, Even people who considered themselves, like, cool music people were sort of interested, but not, like, pretending, like, pretending they weren't.
0: Yeah. So he was, like, like, he won season seven. So this is almost, oh, Jesus,
1: 2008. Yeah. God. Um, Well, a guy that I was friends with when I lived in New York was on season three, I think. What? And we were super excited. We were all voting for him. He didn't make it super far. He made it to, like... I don't know, the final 20 or something. Still. But, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, well, he thrilling. was like, a, he was like the rocker guy when they didn't really have a lot of that. What if I was like, what was his name? And you were like, Clay and Yeah, right. Yeah, he was the rocker guy.
0: <laughs> David Cook was the rocker guy too. And he was like, he got really well known on the show for doing these really like cool different arrangements of songs. And then he had to make, um, this like disclaimer one episode that he had, um, uh, that they weren't original arrangements, which nobody was claiming they were. But anyway, it was like a whole thing. Yeah. Anyway, so now we're talking about American Idol. On I my know. <laughs> indie music podcast. Yeah. Um, but shout out David Cook. I hope he's doing well. Our best to David. That's right. Yes. So that's, yeah. the, that's the world I know. Um, did I say 1995 um, on the album Collective Soul?
1: Um, Oh, these lyrics. I don't think I ever knew most of these lyrics.
0: That's such a fun thing to do, to be like,
1: I've been singing along. I don't know what I was singing. Well, so he says, I mean, so, okay. I grew up about 40 minutes from New York City. I could see the skyline from where I grew up if you Mm -hmm. were at the high point of Route 17. (laughs) And and so there is a line that I did know that says, I drink myself of newfound pity sitting alone in New York City, and I don't know why. And I always knew growing up I was going to move to New York after college. That was uh-huh. just like up the plan. Everybody right. I knew basically did. But I did move to New York alone at 19. I didn't know mm-hmm. anyone. I, I moved to Queens because I'd gotten a job in Manhattan. But I spent a lot of my like early not uh, so uh, how old was I 23 I spent a lot of my early 20s sort of like wandering around New York City by myself thinking like that my life was very romantic but in a like sort of sad (laughs) Sad, yeah you know collective soul video kind of way (laughs) you know the birds were talking to me yeah you know feeding them bagels the ants meant something in their tininess (laughs) yeah so I guess there's it makes sense that this was one that kind of stuck with me and yeah when it played in the show it was like oh god like punch me in the stomach
0: This song feels like it was in every tv show and i'm looking yeah. now and it appears that that's not actually true <laughs> it's weird i guess because radio is a little different now i maybe that's what it is the song was everywhere and so in my head it feels like yeah cuz it's like now you don't really run into i mean a little bit you do but you don't really run into songs the same way um
1: Yeah. Well, this has this connects to what we were talking about um, on our podcast about how in the 90s specifically uh, music was so radio focused for most Mm -hmm. of us. Like Mm -hmm. there were people that were, you know, really like music nerds and were like, you know, pulling vinyl from, you know, the 50s or whatever. I don't know. There were people that were like, you know, I knew before it was cool then also. But Most people I knew were listening to 90% of their music based on what was on the radio. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you might have had your little niche where, like, you know, mine was mostly punk at the time um, and, like, L.A. punk specifically. But I also listened to everything the radio spit out at me as well Yeah, and knew the words and, like, you know.
0: Well, and it's funny because you think... Because of, like, Spotify and stuff, everything is at your fingertips. And I think a lot of people do listen, have maybe a wider range of what they listen to. But it's it's a different thing of, like...
1: Well, it's, it's algorithmed for your brain, right? Because right it has yeah. to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so when you turn on like Z100 or WPLJ, when you're a teenager, you don't have any choice where this that starts.
0: This is Y100, Q102. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> B101. You have radios down there in South Jersey? <laughs> hey, now. I thought they were all CB radios. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, how do you think we call each other? There you go. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And and so it's just i don't know i think the way we consume music is is obviously an interesting thing to think about but like but yeah cuz it's like i listened to the radio all of the time and then mm-hmm. i had my couple of things where like you know i would go to our local record store and i would stick to the like the few sections that i would i would stick to yeah. so in that case i wasn't really branching out yeah um, but just by osmosis i was getting a little bit of everything Otherwise, yeah,
1: I mean, sad but true, most of my like interesting music taste came from people that I would that I was dating like mm-hmm. all of that Ellie punk stuff came from a guy that I dated in high school. he and his friends somehow got obsessed with bad religion and I don't know where they found them um at the time, but it's
0: I guess, and yeah, I mean, you being, like you said, you're a few years older than me, so it's a little different, and I think it was a little... But he, but when I was younger, like, I got in... I, Green Day was, like, my gateway drug, um, and it's because I had a friend when I was young. I was in, like, second grade, and her older brother loved Green Day. Mm. And then you would do the thing where, like, you would get an album and you would see, like, who they thanked.
1: Yes, yes, um, and who was on the same label. To me, Green Day was the, like cheesy band that I had to deal with to go see Bad Religion because they drew people and Bad Religion would like not get a crowd without them.
0: You would be too cool for Green Day, Jody. I was too
1: cool for Green Day. You
0: would be. I was. Um, and I, was I for felt bad like religion. as a young kid, having like a band that wasn't one that I learned from my, my like, um, from like my, my mom and yeah. then like being able to find bands from them. Um, I felt very cool. So Excuse me. Um,
1: (laughs) So, okay. I know this is not, we're not here to talk about bad religion. We can talk about whatever you want. I just have to say that, like, as a very nerdy high schooler who thought she was going to be a writer, bad religion was everything I ever wanted in a band. (laughs) They were, like, lefty. They were mad. Mm -hmm. They had a huge vocabulary. (laughs) I, like, learned words from them. Like, my vocabulary expanded greatly. I learned... You learned the word dookie? Malachite. <laughs> I. If you look up any of Bad Religion songs from the like mid-90s, their number of sort of, you know, $5 words in there mm-hmm. is bonkers. The masses are obsequious, contented in their sleep, the vortex of their minds <laughs> ensconced in the murky deep. Of course, I am a cliche in that I don't listen to any of the newer stuff. I stopped listening to them at about American Jesus. We were just talking with Kristen Curtis last week about this, that like
0: um, she was saying that statistically most people stop seeking out new music at like
1: the age of 25 or something like that. I believe Um, it. I mean, it's kind of convenient that the music I was listening to at 25 is back. (laughs) Right. There you go. You know, makes my life easier.
0: Uh, Yeah. Right. So that's the world I know by collective soul. (laughs) And now we're gonna switch things up a little bit and we're gonna we're gonna talk about a cover. Um those those two songs that we just talked about were from season one. Mm-hmm. And then I, Jody, you watched the show as it aired. Is that true? This yes. isn't really okay. And then I got COVID and you suggested that I watch this and I binged season one in two days, mm-hmm. just like a couple of months before the season, the new season dropped. So yeah. um I didn't have to wait as long. But one of the first things we got when they started promoting season two um, with the first or second trailer was this song and it's a cover of No Doubt's Just a Girl by Florence and the Machine and here it is.
3: Take this pink ribbon off my eyes I'm exposed And it's no big surprise
0: It's so fucking good. It's so fucking good. It's like unreal. And I'm not, I was never a huge No Doubt fan. And I think Florence and the Machine is incredible, but I, I'm not like
1: a super fan. Yeah, no, me neither. It's, uh, I I, lo- I mean, I, I appreciate mm-hmm. their music. I think it's good. I'll, you know, if it comes on Spotify, I probably won't skip it. I'll, well, I might, but I wouldn't skip it every time. Right, exactly. If I'm in the right mood.
0: But I was like past the age of 25 when Florence and the Machine started making music. So what am I supposed yeah. to do?
1: Yeah, and um, I do have an attachment to no doubt as a '90s kid, and like as somebody who was flirting around the edges of ska mm-hmm. and and punk and all of that at the time. Yeah. You know, having any female representation in the music of right. that era was huge. You know, yeah. Oh well, and but, especially
0: female representation music in that era, talking about being a woman in mm-hmm. in music,
1: I think yeah. was was huge. Um, yeah. And it's funny now, it feels so regressive when you look at the lyrics. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, and I know that she's poking fun at the idea, but like even the phrase, just a girl, like mm-hmm. I would never use that phrase anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would never use the phrased girl to describe myself even as a young adult. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's, it has lots of sort of weird connotations for me now, but Man, did that update it having having Florence Welch thing sing that song.
0: Well, that's what's so and the trailer, you you obviously only get about 30 seconds of it. Mm-hmm. You listeners just heard the whole thing. And it's so funny because even at the time in the nineties and thinking about it now, when Gwen sings it, it is obviously sarcastic. It's yeah. just clearly like poking not night poking fun isn't really, but it's like a takedown. It kind of um, is, yeah when Florence sings it, it is threatening. Those mm-hmm. lines are like, it's not like sarcasm isn't the right word for what's going on there. It's like, oh, you think, and if you know the show, it's really fitting. If you don't know the show, it's just an incredible cover. Um, But it's, it makes, it just works so well Um, in terms of, of the show to put this really menacing.
1: Yeah. um, spin Menacing on it. is the right word for it. Like, it takes it from this sort of like snappy, kind of poppy, a little bit in your face, a little bit sarcastic mm-hmm. to being like, whoa. Yeah. Like watch out, you know? Yeah, she um in an interview
0: with Matthew Strauss for Pitchfork, um, she said, We really tried to add some horror elements to this iconic song to fit the tone of the show. They did. The like background vocals that sound sort of like, um, they're almost chanting. It's mm-hmm. like this weird, like sing songy, choral thing happening that is um, really
1: unsettling. She, yeah, well, that's the way she describes it. She says she was asked to interpret it in a deeply unsettling way, <laughs> and she did it. Yeah, no, I, I fucking love it. Like that song, the when the original comes on on Spotify, which it does occasionally for me because I've got sort of a heavy '90s. Uh, vibe happening <laughs> right now in my like suggested music mm-hmm. um i'll listen occasionally and it'll bring me back to like driving around with my my college friend Allie who i was in photo class with like <laughs> in my shitty car that was about to die every five minutes and like feeling like yeah fuck you like yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like i don't i don't need anyone to tell me what to do like very much my attitude at nineteen, well, and the thing too,
0: is that like not that not that it's ever been easy for for women, <laughs> but like famously, <laughs> but like one of the things that's like at uh, this particular time is there's like a there's a curve of, thi- like where we were at like a little bit of a turning point there where things were starting to look pretty good (laughs) as far as things could could be looking for women. Right, like right on the edge of that. And, And it was like a progression upward. And now talking about it now, this song, it's like, I'm almost like, Gwen, you didn't know how good you had it. Right. And so for the song then to feel this cover, it's not just that the song itself feels more threatening and more menacing. It's also reflective of a time that is where women are much more threatened and That's menaced. such a fucking good point. And man. it's like well and so it's like it's almost like to hear the original version, I'm I'm really it's
1: it's almost hopeful. It's like, like <laughs> Yeah. It's yeah. It's not yeah. Yeah, I was talking about this with someone the other day that I I really thought in the 90s that like things would always be going in a good direction mm-hmm. and it would continue to and like things would continue to get better for women and for queer people and whatever. And it's like, oh, wait, no, there's no. always a backlash and yeah. we're in it. I remember thinking this is not this is
0: a different subject. But I remember thinking when I was a kid in the 90s being like, I'm so Glad that all the wars are over. <laughs> like I can't imagine what it would be like to have to live through a war. Yeah. And now it's like there are ki- there are young adults who don't know what it's like to not live. And I know I'm not saying anything new, right? But it's just
1: um... well, I felt the same way about like, you know, abortion access. Mm-hmm. I mean, like the fact well, thank God that... we took care of that. I like, yeah. that's all settled. Oh my God. I mean, like, seriously though, growing yeah. up, I was like, wow, I'm glad all those women did all that work so mm-hmm. that I can have some of these rights. You know, and it's like, oh, just kidding.
0: Yeah, yeah. No Gwen's—they um, won't let me have any rights, and it's like she yeah. wasn't
1: wrong then, but it's yeah. also like you
0: don't know the steps backward that are coming. Where, yeah, yeah. Um, That's <laughs> what an exciting time to be alive. I, like. uh,
1: it's it's so fun. No, it's interesting because I think that we did feel very put upon as women at that time, or at least I did, um, by societal expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think women have always felt that way. And it was there was no different so. then. But it did seem like we could kind of push back in a new way at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she as problematic as she was, uh and is, um <laughs> <laughs> see her recent comments about being Japanese or feeling Japanese oh no yeah yeah there was the whole Harajuku I remember that but is she talking about it again somebody brought it up and she did not handle it well she like defended herself in a way that was kind of uh tone deaf yeah yeah not great not great
3: okay
0: well well, the good news is Florence and the Machine rules, and they—they also thank you, Florence, for fixing. This is I. The way this is such a nitpicky thing. The way Gwen twists burdensome. Uh, with its twiddle dumb There's no the way she says comparison there. Comparison. Yeah, yeah. It. There's no. It's. She tortures <laughs> that poor word like within an inch of its life, and That's Florence true. does not, and it works, and it's great. Yeah. And,
1: I'm it does kind of give like... me an excuse to like the song again, like in a more uh, up-to-date way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for that, uh, Florence. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, though, if you look back at these lyrics, when you think about the way it's sung in the original and how sort of upbeat it is, she's saying, the moment that I step outside, so many reasons for me to run and hide. I can't do all the little things I hold so dear because it's all those little things that I fear. That's dark.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's dark. But it feels, but again, it feels like when, um, like the, her saying like, oh, little me, like all Mm -hmm. of that, it's, it's dark in the way, but the way she sings it, it does, like I've said, it makes it feel more sarcastic. It makes it feel more like, um... I don't know if we said tongue-in-cheek, but, like, a little more tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. But then when he, when Florence sings a line, like, don't you think I know exactly where I stand? I'm like, I do yeah. think you know, <laughs> but I don't want to be there. You know everything, Florence. <laughs> yeah. How oh, little old you. I'm like, yeah. oh, God.
1: It's like. Yeah. 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 The line, what I've succumbed to is making me numb. Like, mm-hmm. when she sings it, it's like, oh, shit.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. like she's numb. So now she can murder all of us and feel nothing.
1: You <laughs> <laughs> think we've been watching too much Yellow
0: Jackets. <laughs> if y'all aren't watching Yellow Jackets, I'm telling you. Come on, it is, get on it. It's so freaking
1: good. It's so fun. And then come listen to The Watchers. Exactly. Why not? Exactly.
0: We do talk about music every week, just not.
1: Yeah, clear. just not as much as this.
0: Yeah. Um, should we move on to another song?
1: Yeah, let's do it. What
0: do you want to listen to next?
1: um what is sort of next in our rotation ah number one crush garbage Uh, yeah hell yeah
0: Oh now th- yeah. Now this is a song that was featured in a movie, and I know that for sure. So that's yeah. that's the good news.
2: Yes. Um,
1: but oh my god, talk about re- when you read the lyrics of this one. This is dark.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's so funny to call this song number one crush because that is we think of crushes as a little lighter, a little. Um, yeah. This th- is like stalker. Ah, uh, yeah, it is big time stalker. Yeah, um, see your face every place that I walk and hear your voice every time that I'm talking. You will believe me, and I will never be ignored. <laughs>
1: it's like, yikes. yikes, Shirley, I love you, but my god, I know. It, yeah, I remember I read on some on something. um It wasn't Shirley that said it, but somebody said the the lyrics were a bit over the top. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you think
0: it's such a cool, moody song. Uh, if So this one's 95. I don't know if I said that. Mm-hmm. But um, what did I want to say? Oh, the version I'm playing is just the the regular album version. Yeah. The version, listeners, you might be more familiar with. And it's what I knew it, m- what I know it most as. It's, it's from the Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Um, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet uh, movie from, from the 90s that yeah. I love so much. And which is also a fantastic, it just perfect soundtrack um and that version is a remix it's uh got a little more going on but i'm gonna play the album version is what you just listened to It's yeah. a little more stripped down a little
1: more um i feel like it's more pure to the time like yeah. it sounds like 95 the original it, version I, mm-hmm. you know it, it got more sort of filled out and less sort of like spare and raw mm-hmm. in the updated version
0: Yeah. I think that movie is like, uh, I think maximalist is the term that we would use now. I don't know that it existed back then in quite the same way. And so um, it makes sense that this song kind of got that treatment as well. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. Shirley Manson. What a, what a badass. I know. And this song, like, oh my God. I mean, I I am a cliche. Like I said, like all of my references have to do with who I was dating, but. (laughs) What else were people doing in the nineties? It is that stalker feeling. It's like, It's interesting because, you know, we think of a strict definition of a stalker, but there's also the kind of obsession that comes with crushes and early Mm -hmm. relationships at that age that is a little uh, more than a little unhealthy Mm -hmm. um, that I think the song speaks to just as much as it could be taken in more of a sort of frightening way. Right.
0: Right. And again, not to talk too much about Yellow Jackets and not to say too much about how this song is used, but well. Not to talk too much about Yellow Jackets, but this song is used um, as a way to sort of underscore this relationship um, that isn't, I would say, <laughs> I, was, I was waffling about whether or not to say it isn't healthy as if maybe it was. No, is what my it's very just much did. not.
1: Yeah. And um, I think I think what you're trying to say here is that it is used to indicate that the person that we are looking at has not evolved necessarily past this understanding of relationship that was that was exactly what i was trying to say thank you (laughs) you're welcome shall we discuss cornflake girl yeah hell yeah (laughs)
3: This is not really happening
1: hard to do without spoiling its incredible significance in the scene that it is used in in Yellow Jackets but we, this it's brand new this last episode just has only been out for a few days so we cannot really I think safely
0: no I, I we yeah, want people
1: to watch the show if they haven't
0: yeah and I will say it. I shouted with glee when I when the reason they used the song the way they did came together with what was happening in the episode absolutely it's, Perfect. A couple of things about um, the song in the time when it was recorded that I think is interesting. And then I have some stuff about Yellow Jackets that I think is is interesting for our conversation now that won't spoil the show. Um, I don't know if you did any reading on the term Cornflake Girl.
1: Yeah, I had heard a little bit about it before, but I, I definitely like went back and looked to see if my recollections made any sense. Yeah. Did you get two conflicting yeah there's there's a couple of different um stories around it, right? There's yeah. the original one that I think was the one that stuck in my brain, which was about um like female genital mutilation in Africa, mm-hmm. which is like Jesus Christ, yeah, um it's a wild thing to have a pop song be about. um it's especially also, uh, when people don't know necessarily that that's what she's singing about. I was just gonna say it's also.
0: If that's what it's about, it is about it in such a way that it is. The subject is really obfuscated mm-hmm. for the lyrics,
1: which feels like yeah. a very 90s thing, too. That like, yeah, but it's we really were, not in there. Like, yeah, by the language and by the lyrics, it's mm-hmm. you would have to have somebody tell you, oh, no, this is where right. it came from.
0: Right. Um, and it's also so that and then also <laughs> apparently. That and Serial. Yeah, well, and then also, like, Tori referring, saying that, like, she and her friends called girls who you couldn't, like, trust who would, like, betray you cornflake mm-hmm. girls. And I, I don't know what, I don't know if that's because of flake, like, when you call somebody flaky, maybe? Or am I missing something there?
1: I think she talks about, um, this is, like, I really wonder, I don't know. I think, sometimes I think that we all did too many drugs in the 90s. <laughs> right? Um because it's something about raisin girls and cornflake girls. Yeah, and raisin, raisin girls are, girls are the rarer. ones you want to be. Yeah, and they're rarer. Mm-hmm. And cornflake girls are sort of like a dime a dozen, but also somehow not untrustworthy. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, apparently the song to a lot of people is about how female friendships are really fraught, which is why they decided to use it in this moment.
0: Right. And I can see that argument. There are lines in here that, that work for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, hanging with the Raisin Girls, she's gone to the other side, giving us the oh ho But then, there's also this, which is, Tori Amos was in a commercial mm-hmm. for Just Right Cereal, which doesn't exist anymore, but it's a, it's Flakes and Raisins. It's, yeah. it's a Kellogg cereal. I remember cereal. that cereal, yeah. So it's like, how, and apparently, the two things are unrelated. But how did you get your st- career start. This is before she was famous. Yeah. Singing about cornflakes, <laughs> being the cornflake girl, and then write a song called Cornflake Girl and say the two things are unrelated.
1: I know. I know. I can't. I mean, I'm happy to... We've. I'm happy to suspend disbelief and they can all be true, but... I think that's what it's gotta be. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I think no, it's I... gotta
0: be a both-and situation,
1: right? <laughs> well, and apparently... It says that um, Atlantic released a series of cornflakes boxes with pictures of Tori Amos so on them to promote funny. the single. I know. So I w- I wish I had one of those. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned when we were talking about this on the other podcast that I have a friend who is her makeup artist, um, and yeah. apparently Tori Amos is a delightful person. So. I love to hear that. Yeah.
0: This so something about the music of the show in general that that makes Cornflake Girls stand out is season one, if you were hearing music in 1996, it was music from the 90s. Right. Uh, They've since switched. They have a new music director now. So Jen Malone was the original for season one music uh, supervisor. And she did a fantastic job, obviously. Oh, my God. So she's been replaced. So I don't know why. I don't don't know that there's any drama there. It's just, you know. Yeah. uh, With Nora Felder, who made um, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill in Stranger Things pop off and it had oh my God. the entire world in a chokehold for the yeah. last however long.
1: All and over so, TikTok too. Y-
0: yeah, exactly. And so now Nora Felder yeah. comes along and we've got Cornflake Girl being used in this moment and it is instantly iconic. Yeah. Uh, and I think that Yellow Jackets is kind of hoping for that kind of moment. Um, the reason I said the thing about last season, 1996, and music is 96. That doesn't, that changes a little bit now. So we have that, um, that Sharon Van Etten song, mm-hmm. um, 17, that is used in the opening there in 1996 then. That's right. not a 1996 song. Right. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see kind of how the music progresses. I really liked that kind of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also it's like, well, if the music serves the moment, I kind of... Yeah. I see an argument for both.
1: Yeah, same. And I think that I just – I have so much trust in the, like, leadership of this show yeah. and their vision that I'm like, I'll just follow what they think yeah. is right because I think they're going to nail it. Like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the – you know, we're talking about specific songs right now, but the way that – to to watch a show on, like, a a prestige show on, like, a major network that is – Using music the way that they're using it, using like Jane's Addiction, The Offspring, like salt and pepper like all of the shit from my growing up that was so, so, so a part of my like veins
2: mm-hmm.
1: is amazing. I mean, it's like I can't get over the job that they're doing, not just I the know. songs that they're choosing, but also where they're placing them Absolutely. and what they're using them for.
0: Yeah. And to get we've, we've talked a lot about like it never feels pandering because it's so clearly done with love yeah they're not just pulling the top 10 songs from 96 and and throwing them in they're really helping to tell the story and then if that also is emotionally manipulative (laughs) so be that's so be it
1: yeah I mean like the number of times watching the show that I have been like oh my god that has had to do with a music cue is higher than any show I think I've ever watched. Absolutely. Like sometimes it's so on the nose, especially lyrically, that it's like, it is a little bit pandery, but in like the best way. It's pandering to those of us that know those songs so intimately that we Mm -hmm. know exactly the lyric that's coming up. Right, yeah. I feel
0: like they're doing it because it's fun for them, not because they're like, this will get them. You know, it's like, they're not, it doesn't feel dishonest at all. It feels like it comes from a real place of genuine love.
1: Yeah. And the music is getting to i think the people that they're trying to reach like mm-hmm. i as as you know have spent way too much time on the subreddit for <laughs> yellow jackets recently and the sheer number of people from gen x on that damn subreddit us old it. folks are out there we are all <laughs> over the yellow jackets subreddit so- like all of us like you know early to mid 90s kids are everywhere mm-hmm. right now it's about exist. time. We do exist.
0: <laughs> they do exist.
1: We've just that been kind my, of.
0: <laughs> that was my Santa Claus Eminem's commercial impression. I actually. That's actually what caught I that. was just
1: doing. I caught that. <laughs> I didn't know that was in there. Is yeah. It got loose. Yikes. Yeah. They do exist. <laughs> yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, our brains are just infected. Um, yeah, it's bad. But yeah. No, I think that. You know, especially with Gen X being such a small segment of the population, we do kind of like being pandered to because no one gives a shit. That's, that's true. You know, we pretend we don't give a shit, but I think we kind but, of do. But but you do. A little
0: bit. Huh. You know what's interesting? What's that? I'm just Googling what year Beavis and Butthead started because mm-hmm. I'm just surprised there hasn't been a like a Beavis and Butthead reference on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the movie came out in 96 so hmm. the show has been i mean the show is out for i think so 92 was when the first yeah. show so figure 93 to 97 yeah um when it was on MTV but it was it's been it was brought back for paramount plus um pretty like hmm. in the last few years and just today 6 hours ago um today's march 28th listeners uh,
1: <laughs> they dropped the official trailer for season 2 so that's interesting wow yeah beavis and butthead oh my god
2: mm-hmm.
1: talk about brainworms. worms uh, uh, i was obsessed like
0: there are a few things that have are very like that are in like when i was still cooking in my dna and like beavis and butthead is weirdly one of
1: them i could see that <laughs> thank you i'm choosing <laughs> to take that as a compliment I mean, um, for me, it was, like, Daria.
0: Yeah. Oh, of just, course. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so those are all the songs from Yellow Jackets. We have one more. It's a little bit of a wild card. Before we get into that one, though, we've got to do some podcast housekeeping. Um, do you – usually I have folks plug something they're working <laughs> on where they want people to go. Would you like to let folks know where they can find you and oh, what you want them to listen to?
1: Well, I'd like you to listen to The Watchers, which Great is idea. a Yellow Jackets podcast. Uh run by two amazing New Jersey bread uh women like a fucking bagel like a fucking bagel. Uh, it's a Jersey bread. You get it? To Jersey bread. That's right. <laughs> um yeah, so you should listen to that. You can find us at Watchers Pod NJ on Instagram and Twitter. It has our links to all of the places you can listen to us. Um I you can also follow my Instagram. I'm an artist. I post my work there. It's Jody J O D I E underscore M I M. Um, Jody
0: is like a genuinely incredible artist. So go <laughs> give even if you're not going to watch Yellow Jackets, go give Jody a follow. Um, I'll run through the stuff y'all are used to hearing me say though. Um, we're at Left of the Dial FM on Instagram, and Left of the Dial PC on Twitter. You can find all our episodes, live sessions, interviews, album reviews. The list goes on. At Left of the dial dot fm. Um, go check out. We just put up since we're talking Jersey and I haven't mentioned it in a little while our uh, we've been posting a bunch of sets from fest last year, and we just put up a set um of Jersey's finest the ergs um mm. with our our friend Mikey erg yeah. um obviously and it rules it's so fun um their uh their live show is is nuts and it was <laughs> really cool and um we had a drum cam on Mikey, so you get to see all of that. And uh yeah. Um, and of course, you can catch me here every week and then over at Chris Gethards, New Jersey is the world, doing a bunch of different things. You can also hear Jody. She's our um <laughs> she's our if you're part of the labor turn- voicemails. That's right. If you're part of our Patreon, the Turnpike Tier. Jody is our um podcast closer once a month. <laughs> and uh That's how yeah. we got here. We, that is how we got here. And uh we do all kinds of stuff. Um, we're at NJ is the world on Twitter. New Jersey is the world on Instagram. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at AQ Andrea Q. My plugs are getting so long. Um, I think that's <laughs> you got to stop making podcasts. <laughs> I I the thing is is that like I keep saying that I threaten to make a new podcast every other week. This is the first time I've made good on it. This is the first podcast I've started, but still somehow I'm on f- three or four. Like it just yeah podcasts. They just kind of – it's like tattoos. It's like they get one and then <laughs> suddenly you have one. you've got – Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So look out, uh yeah. um, I know, right? I think that's everything. Anything else you can think
1: of? I don't think so. Watch Yellow Jackets. It's fucking yeah, great. Y-
0: yeah, it's on Showtime, so you either have to pay for Hulu or Showtime, but you can watch the pilot for free. And if you're yeah. someone who doesn't want to pay for a streaming service, I would say don't watch the pilot because you're going to –
1: get hooked want to yeah. yeah and i think right now you can do paramount plus i they're not paying us <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but okay, you so. could do paramount plus in showtime bundle and that's what i've been doing uh, okay great or find about. a friend that you can convince to give you your their login yeah
0: so again the soundtrack is great the show is fantastic i've got i threw a little
1: wild card in here yeah I can see where your brain went, though, because we had been talking about Florence and Florence Welch and Florence and the Machines covering just a girl. And in our original conversation about that cover in the other show, I had mentioned the Screaming Females cover of Shake It Off. Right. And which then we start talking about like incredible covers. And this sort of bubbled up, I think, as we were talking about doing this.
0: Yeah. And listeners are used to me talking about how obsessed I am with what makes the cover good and what doesn't. They're also used to me talking about how obsessed I am with screaming females. Screaming females, yeah. Yeah. Um and and then with garbage, we're we're talking about number one crush. Um if listeners, if you haven't heard this song, it's 10 years old now. It was 2013. Um, Screaming Females toured with garbage the year before. And they would c- do this cover together of because of the night, which is a uh, Patty Smith. Well, Patti Smith. Uh, well yeah. if you listen to our Karen Rose episode, you are w- very familiar with the story of because of the night, because we talked about it. Uh, uh Jody, our friend, uh, Chris Gethard and I talked mm-hmm. about it with Karen Rose. who oh, wrote. Nice. She literally wrote the book on Patty Smith, why Patty Smith matters. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked a lot about this story and, um, it was originally, like, Bruce Springsteen wrote it, sort of. He had, like, I think, like, a melody and and maybe the chorus or something like that. And then he couldn't make it work, so he gave it to Patty, and she blew it up into the song that it is, which is this huge, enduring hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Garbage and Screaming Females took it and started covering it when they were touring together, and audiences seemed to like it. And um, for Record Store Day the following year, I think... Um, Garbage decided they wanted to put something like new and different out, and so they reached out to Screaming Females and asked if they wanted to record an official version of it, which they did, and it is Incredible. unreal. real.
2: Take me now, baby, here as I am. Pull me close, try and understand. Desire is a hunger, it's the fire I breathe Love is a banquet on which we feed
1: I'm thinking about this song a lot because weirdly, because I am uncool, um, my original introduction to it was through 10,000 Maniacs. Um, oh, yeah, because didn't Natalie Merchant do a cover of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was um tangentially aware of Patty Smith through my um photography world because of um her connection to Mablethorpe. Um so I knew it was originally her song but it's gone through so many um sort of variations over the years and it seems like the constant is it needs to be sung by someone with a fucking insane voice. Yeah. Like a wildly haunting intense like Which is why Bruce
0: I mean Bruce doesn't live
1: now but like yeah
0: he can't you know, I, I have a lot of love for uh, Springsteen, but I don't yeah. think anybody is describing his voice as like wildly haunting.
1: No, no. Yeah, the version that I first heard, I think, was from the MTV Unplugged album in 1993 where 10,000 Maniacs does the song. Um, and then I heard the Patti Smith version and, and then, of course, that makes sense. later on heard the Screaming Females and Garbage cover. Um, But yeah, every person that has sung it in a way that has made an impact has just a wild fucking voice. Yeah, that cover, though, the
0: 10,000 Maniacs one, listen to that one, too, because it is also fantastic.
1: It's actually Um, really good. Like, yeah, it's you know, it's from that time period of the the like weird ascendance of 10,000 Maniacs as some a, bi- a band that kind of crossed over a lot of boundaries mm-hmm. in terms of like different types of music listeners.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: I think it might have had to do actually with the MTV Unplugged phenomenon that was going mm-hmm. on at that time. Like Nirvana did MTV Unplugged, mm-hmm. like, you know, all sorts of bands. It was really actually, now that I think about it, it was extremely exciting at the time because it was a new way of listening to the music that you already loved and, like, it felt like such a weird, intimate experience. such a good point. Yeah. I mean, like, because I listened before high school. I (laughs) grew up in northern Jersey in the late 80s. I was a (laughs) metalhead. And so, you know, what Unplugged did was it stripped back a lot of those really, like, hard, loud bands Mm -hmm. to these beautiful instrumentations. Mm -hmm. And I think that... That the that era of MTV Unplugged actually kind of threw together a lot of different types of music in this format that introduced them to a lot of different people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This cover is not stripped back; it is big. No, it's Marissa. I mean, it's obviously garbage crushes it. Garbage. Shirley Manson, incredible. But first of all, Marissa does a, her Marissa thing with the solo at the end that goes on forever and is un unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, nobody listening to this is surprised to hear that. Um but it's just also so cool to hear um Marissa and Shirley's voices together with like Shirley being such an iconic 90s person mm-hmm. and I always think of it's funny. I always think of Screamoals as they're not a 90s band. Like right. they they're not. Um I think Marissa and I are pretty close in age and but they just have such a I think it's there's like something in their DNA that feels really in conversation with that time period. Yeah. It's, it's like this... it's guitars and Marissa's yes. big kick-ass like just like Marissa voice and
1: Well, and it's a th- it's throwback is the wrong word, but it's like a callback to the sort of wild female front person mm-hmm. that really wasn't as much. It was a thing at some points, but it was it became a big thing in the nineties mm-hmm. um over time, I feel like. I may be making that up, but no, I think I. I mean that feels right to me. I mean, because I'm thinking of like garbage and and mm-hmm. that whole era, um, the breeders and mm-hmm. just like this very loud female presence. Yeah.
0: And so it's it's just very cool to feel that almost like generationally together in this song, but yeah, um, but in a way that doesn't feel. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe that's the end of my sentence. One little <laughs> thing. As I was reading about how this song came together, I'm not even going to link to this article. But the person who, this article that I read, Shirley Manson and Marissa Paternoster's budding romance. I saw that. It's like a romance. It's like a bromance, but for women. Oh, God. It's a womance. Vomit. Why did we do it? I don't know. Why do we do bromance? Well, okay. It's a stupid it, word too. It's stupid. And it's because men are supposed to be ashamed of their feelings. So a male friendship that has actual love between it. We have to pretend like the, that's a different thing. We have to get
1: a silly name for and it. And we
0: have to get a silly name for it. I thought that like, you know, people who aren't men at the very least, like yeah. we could be beyond that.
1: But yeah, but also
0: I, I think if, if you, um you'll be shocked to know, I think a guy wrote this article. Oh God. I'm, I'm... I'm bowled over romance Whoa, romance Whoa, so anyway one other thing to mention about yellow jackets that ties this last pick in is that it's we, we somehow didn't mention that it's set in New Jersey um and uh, uh we did it no <laughs> I talk know about we made it it. the time I know it's all we talk about it just yeah um, but so everybody um involved with this with, because of the night patty smith, springsteen screaming females everybody but garbage um, are all jersey artists. So that also made yeah. it feel a little more like it was okay to include this. All right, Jody. I could and often do talk to you for hours about this stuff, but I've got to get I've got to let our listeners go on with their day. Thank you so so much for joining me over on this podcast.
1: Thank you for asking me. I've I've never thought I would be asked to talk about music, but it turns out I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> See? See, I told you. This has been
0: Left of the Dial. I've been your host, Andrea. Jody Mim has been my guest. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.
3: <laughs> and if I don't
2: see you in a long, long while, I try to find you Left of the Dial.